Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. Masters of Couch Potato Style Punches and Popcorn Welcome back, Punches and Popcorn family to the final episode of Ninja November I hope you're not as sad as we are for this month to be, en- to be ending but remember, as long as you have a couch that you can sit on you can, too can be a ninja, a couch potato ninja, and you can really keep that ninja in your heart all year long. <laughs> so we are back again to talk uh, to talk about ninjas one more time. And uh, before we get started, I just want to say hi to my fellow couch potato ninjas and our very special guest here tonight. And I have a question for you. Um, I, again, am your host, Mike Huntone, and the movie we're going to talk about tonight has a lot to do with or a lot of references to pizza in it and specifically different types of pizza whether it's flies and stink bugs pizza or something else so i want to know when i ask each of you and uh preview to our special guest that i'll introduce in a moment i want to know what your go-to pizza is so again i'm your host mike my go-to uh when i can and the kids won't complain about it is pepperoni and mushroom our magic man matt knotts is still uh, lost in the Western New York Kumite somewhere. Uh, he told us, did he tell us his pizza order? I don't believe so. I don't think, you know what? His pizza order is anchovies. He likes the anchovies. Take that, that is official. Matt Knotts, the magic man, loves anchovies. All right, next we have our genius ambassador, Jason Bills. What is your pizza order? First of all, Mike, uh, it's just Dan now. It's a, it's a reference to <laughs> <laughs> Thought you should know. Uh, anyways uh, favorite pizza um you know i'm kind of i don't know like i would just go to walmart and get one of their like science stuff crust pizzas i call it that because it's not cheese um right in the freezer case and i just have fun with that you just warm it up and it, there's no effort involved so that's uh that's what i pick wow that may be more controversial sad, than a group of teenage pizza loving individuals who choose Domino's as their pizza. All right, next up, we have our walking weapon, our professor, Dr. Dominic DeMore. What's your go-to pizza order? Easy. Uh, New York style, foldable crust, sausage and pepperoni. Easy. I am a pizza snob. I'm from Long Island. I love New York style pizza. Like, yeah, I I have a lot to say. I can't even say my second favorite. My second favorite is Fried eggplant and um, big wads of ricotta cheese. That sounds really good. Sauce. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, if you you ever, by the way, I'm giving a shout out to my favorite pizzeria in Buffalo. It's Zeddy's. Zeddy's is awesome. It's the best pizza in Buffalo. So if you're in Buffalo, yeah, I mean, get wings if you're in Buffalo. You don't, I don't consider <laughs> Buffalo a pizza destination. But if you want pizza too, Zeddy's is, is my jam. I love it. Sorry, that was more than that was more than you asked for. So apologize. No, you're well, 
this is the professor. Uh, so if you can't tell uh, from some of the hints and previews here, we will be talking about Ninja Turtles tonight. And we are super excited because we have uh, IDW's current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic book writer and local Rochesterian, Sophie Campbell with us. Sophie, hey, what is your pizza me. order? You know, I really like those non-pizzas at Wegmans. Yes. Oh, I yeah. love those. They're just like nice and soft. You, like you heat them up in your own oven. You can't mess yep. it up. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I love the, the, the white pizza with garlic on oh, the con. I love that. That's good. That is good. You know, we like when we make homemade pizzas in our house, we frequently do like the, we get the non bread and put it on because I know my wife and I can, we cannot figure out how you stretch out pizza roll. Oh, I do the, like, the pizza rolling dough thing sometimes. It's great. Can, we try and it's like just becomes this giant lump and mess. And usually <laughs> one of us ends up crying and then the kids are crying. And so non bread all the time. The I secret is to not put it in the fridge. Oh, okay. All right. It's well, just, it's just warm and, you know, <laughs> yes. Well, it's clear from the movie that we're going to talk about tonight that the secret of pizza is an important part of ninjutsu. Uh, so let me give us a little intro and bring us into the world that we are walking into tonight. In the early 1980s, Cannon Group would introduce much of America to the ninja with the release of the Ninja Trilogy. But as the decade closed, the ninja would come to be embodied by something entirely different. Four teenagers. Four turtles. That's right, we're talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! Created in 1984, originally as a comic book by the now legendary Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, uh, that they published under their own imprint, Mirage Studios, the Ninja Turtles soon evolved first into a line of action figures, and then in 1987 launched an animated show that exploded the Ninja Turtles across the American pop culture scene. It would be with this rising wave of popularity that would lead legendary Hong Kong studio Golden Harvest and 80s and 90s action magnates New Line Cinema to launch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in 1990. This live action turtle-powered fun fest of fights, pizza, and father figures, directed by one of the hottest music video producers of the era, featured unforgettable costuming and puppetry by the one and only Jim Henson Studios, and even featuring the music of the biggest music star of the time, MC Hammer, it would become a cultural and childhood touchpoint for so many children of the era. So... Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before uh, we started rolling uh, this evening. And I know for those of us that are of uh, an age where we grew up in the 80s and 90s, I think for a, a large group of us, when we think of ninjas, we think of Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, uh, this was, uh, I had G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe was really cool. But when Ninja Turtles came out, that was it. That my allowance was all set up around how I could afford a new Ninja Turtle figure every week. Uh, you know, I knew all those episodes by heart of the cartoon. And I just remember for me, when this movie came out, this was the event that I needed. I, and it was a multiple event too, because I remember when the movie came out, I had to go see this. And when it came out on video, I had to, I remember telling my parents, like, we need this tape the day it comes out like looking at TV guide when you would see like the listings for the tape that they would say was like $95 for the video or something. If anybody remembers those days. And I remember oh, yes. getting the videotape 
and making sure that we had pizza for dinner that night. And I swear I can still taste the pizza that we ate when I watched this at home for the first time. So this movie in Ninja Turtles for me was such a huge part of my childhood that it's, again, I'll stop myself because I'll just like go on to this Mike memory lane that will last us for the next 10 years, but nobody wants to hear that. Uh, so I want to hear from the rest of you kind of uh, where, what were Ninja Turtles, whether it's this movie, Ninja Turtles in general, um, you know, around when this movie came out, or maybe when you first experienced this movie, if you weren't someone like me who was like lining up around the block to go see it the second it came out. Guest first, please. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like I feel like Turtles for me like went kind of backwards from a lot of people, or like at least kids at the time, because like I I got into it through the toys first. Okay. And then a friend of mine had the uh, the Palladium RPG. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, was, which came out in 1985, what? which was oh. the first licensed Turtles thing ever. And my friend, he had this book and all the art was done by Kevin and Peter. And, you know, like as a child, I was like, I was like, wait, wait, they all have red masks here and they look like kind of evil. Like, <laughs> what is this? Like this, these don't look like those other looney tunes turtles at all <laughs> and from there i got into the mirage comics and like that's what i grew up on was the comic stuff so i did go see the movie i remember i saw it with my mom i have no idea what she thought of it <laughs> um but i remember because like around that time up you know in the comics they you know like it, there's there's like you know silly stuff in the comics and stuff but like there's like no pizza stuff. Right. There's like none of that stuff. You know, they say like shit and ass and stuff. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. And yeah. so to me, that movie was, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just like, ah, they have the colored mask. It's for babies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, kind of a turtle hipster. You're kind yeah, of like, yeah, I like, yeah. yeah, like I was this like, was cool. like, I was this like nine, 10 year old, like turtle hipster. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fourth grade drawing the turtles with the red masks like stabbing people and stuff oh. and the other kids are like oh, what's going on and so that that was how that that like that's how it was for me and i feel like like i don't even think i saw the second one in the theater because i was still in my purest phase <laughs> at, at like age 11 or whatever I was right just like, i'm just like it's all cartoony and stupid <laughs> you know they don't murder anybody you know? and so I feel like I didn't fully appreciate those movies until I got older and I just kind of like stopped caring about like these kind of arbitrary <laughs> divisions of this, you know, media or whatever. Sure, sure. And like I I still remember I had like a moment like not that long ago, maybe like just several years ago where I rewatched Ninja Turtles 2 not to like go off on a totally different movie. But yeah, I it's all I rewatched the second one with the kind of behind the scenes knowledge that the scientist guy, Jordan Perry, was originally supposed to be an alien. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he was supposed to be an Utram, which are the, the little brain guys in the old comics, which oh, Krang, yeah. was Krang was based on. Right. And they cut it out because they thought kids would think it was Krang, blah, 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 blah. So I watched ah. it 
and like with that approach, I was just like, you know, this movie is like pretty incredible. And then, you know, then like I just had this whole reevaluation of like these old turtles movies that I kind of dismissed when I was like a snobby child. <laughs> sure, sure. And I, and sure. I was just like, you know, Turtles Three is is pretty good. You know, so, like, <laughs> and so um, yeah, that's kind of how I came at that old movie. Um, I like I have just kind of gained gained more appreciation as I get older, and I can kind of look at it, you know, I guess for what it is, and not for what like ten year old right. me like was sad because there was no murder, with it, you know, and then whatever. <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you want me to keep going or if no, they, no, that no, that's fine. That's uh, clearly you were way cooler Ninja Turtle <laughs> fan than I. I was the like correct. Oh, I was I was thankful Debatable. they had the mask, so I knew the difference between. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my ten year old self was like, you can tell the difference because of their personalities, not this child <laughs> color coding. <laughs> Yeah, ten year old yeah. Mike would have seen ten year old Sophie and been like super intimidated, and also thinking like ten year old Sophie's super cool. I know so. I'd be over there like painting my playmates turtle toys all the or whatever. <laughs> oh, that is sweet. That is sweet. I got those around here somewhere. <laughs> oh, I wish I did. I wish I did. Uh, Jason, Tom, how about you guys? Yeah, go ahead. Jay, go ahead, man. Alrighty, um, kind of similar. I was, but but different. More, more towards Mike. So I was obsessed with the cartoon. That's how I got into it. Then, of course, I had to get the action figure. And the first movie was a huge deal to me. I made my mom take me on the opening night or, you know, whatever, the first day. Probably was a matinee at that point. But I, I didn't have friends yet, so I had to get mom. I had to get that involved. <laughs> so, that yeah, very passionate about the turtles at that age. Nice. And how about you, Dom? Uh, so I'm going to make this both about the turtles and give people out there parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what everyone loves. So, so into so in, when I was nine years old, I was a huge turtle fan. So like, what is it? 1989. I was nine years old. I was a big fan. I liked the cartoon. I loved the toys and the toys were great. I found the toys to be so uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ornate. Yeah. In a mm-hmm. grotesque way. Like, I remember, like, even, like, the B and C Lister toys. Like, they had one guy that was made of garbage. Muck man. Like, yeah. Yes. And he had, like, a, he had, like, a manhole cover as a foot. And I was like, this is insanely gross. I love it. Right. <laughs> so here's, yes, here's why good. I bring up parenting. Okay. Because my parents, you know, they want to raise a well-rounded young man. So they're like, okay, we should get him a book for Christmas and get him some clothes and also get him toys and yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you've heard, get your kids something to read and something to wear and something they want, something they need or some other thing <laughs> you saw on Instagram, right? You know, that stuff's been around forever. That year, my parents asked me, Dominic, what do you want for Christmas? And I go, Ninja Turtles. And they're like, anything else? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Like, what about clothes? Don't care. I'm nine. I, I like. I, I'll, I'll wear a sack. I don't care. I don't care about hygiene. I definitely don't care about appealing to the opposite sex. I'm like, I want turtles. What about books? No, 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 no. I want Ninja Turtle toys. And I totally expected like the whole array of like lesson learning, you know, Christmas appreciate, you know, blah 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 bullshit. But instead, my parents came through clutch 
All I got was a giant box. One giant box said Santa. And I'm like, okay, what's in here? And there were 20 Ninja Turtle toys in there. 20 action figures. And I was like, like, what? Are you serious? It was the best Christmas I ever had. That's way too much for one child. Oh my god. I don't know if it was 20. Maybe I mean it was a long time ago, but it was just one box filled with all these Ninja Turtle toys and it was awesome. Nothing else. They didn't get me anything else. Like I think I had to pay for my dinner that night. But still I always I was yeah. So like they they made me truly happy. Ninja Turtles made me truly happy. And when I saw this movie in the theater the following year, I was like what I loved about it is I'm like, it's because I was 10 because we were 10 in 1999 or 10. And I was just like hitting that age where I'm like, I don't want too much kid stuff. And I find and I like the movie because I thought the movie in a way felt like a movie that was kind of for adults. It yeah, had a feeling of yeah. groundedness. It was still Ninja Turtles. They were still goofing around. They still said cowabunga and all that crap. <laughs> but like, I felt like I was watching something that wasn't overly sanitized. And I feel like the movie aged the cartoon well. And, and like, you know, so I was like, okay, as I got older, I grew up with Ninja Turtles. I had all these toys and then I saw the movie and I was like, okay, this is perfect for me at this time. And then I, I grew out of it a little bit, but I've always been a comic nerd. So I kept up with Ninja Turtles and yeah. So it has a special place in my heart. I feel like that's a long winded story, but um, know, this is... parenting yeah. advice. If your kids want something, you know, get it. Don't buy them socks yes. instead. If you can't afford <laughs> If you can't afford to buy your kids a bunch of Ninja Turtle toys, don't. But if you can, don't buy them socks instead and expect them to learn a life lesson from it. <laughs> because, you know, 30 years later, they're not going to be on a podcast talking about how great, great a parent you were. So, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe they got really into socks. But, uh, I'm also <laughs> realizing that I completely skipped over Jason's gospel. Uh, so oh. I want to, Jason, if it's all right, let's cut that. And Matt, when you're listening to this, if it fits, you could just plop this right between the before i got into my let's talk about ninja turtles you know that matt's not going to do that and this whole spiel that you did is still going to be on there just to make it more better and rich all right well (laughs) without further ado uh, we need to hear and get things really kicking off with our geniuses word the gospel the gospel of the guillotine Jason, what do you got for us today? Uh, first of all, disclaimer back uh, what Dom was saying. Uh, if kids are listening, Santa brought those presents, not parents. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> Thank right. you. So uh, <laughs> we're going to talk film theory tonight. There's something that film critics um, more or less agree on, and I should have done research as to who started this theory, but there's something called the genre cycle. So there's four stages stages of a genre. There's primitive, classical, revisionist, and parody. Um, I'm going to take the scenic route on this, but stick with me. So we're going to talk <laughs> about each and also tie it into what Mike gave us with Ninja November as he picked these movies. And I think it was just all kind of like a, a clever way to dip into each one of these stages. The first, again, is primitive. So the genre at this time, you know, they're just kind of figuring out they're, they're laying breadcrumbs, they're laying the foundation. It's naive at this point. The tropes haven't been figured out yet. The foundation is being set in, and just again, many of the conventions aren't established. So I'm going to tie it into what we've done 
with Ninja November. And first is Enter the Dragon. <laughs> enter the Dragon. Wow. Enter the Ninja. <laughs> I apologize for that. And again, um, some of the people on the podcast had fun tearing this movie apart. But again, I'm trying to be the lone defender in saying, again, it's primitive. It's figuring things out. And again, I guess I wouldn't say Ninja as a genre, but maybe the American Ninja, not the movie, just the actual genre itself and what happened in the 80s. They were still figuring things out. So we shouldn't be too hard on it because i mean it did have some 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 decent stuff in there the next step we go to is the classical stage of the ninja genre and that we did we touched on revenge of the ninja and with that you know the all the tropes have been established all the conventions are there um and again we saw that with revenge of the ninja it is such a treat everything's kind of like at high capacity it's just working like a top like the pacings there you know all the you know, everything's set in place and the fans know what to expect and, and they're loving it and they're eating it up. Okay, that takes us to the third stage, revisionist. And that perfectly ties into uh, Ninja 3, The Domination. At this point, the, the kind of, the audience knows the formula. Um, there, things get more ambiguous, less, cert, less certain of its values. Um, they tend to be more stylistic. And again, that just describes Ninja 3 because <laughs> it's just a weird party of hot tubs uh aerobics and you know ripping off poltergeist uh and finally <laughs> and this is why i'm kind of railing through this because we're going to talk about teenage mutant ninja turtles tonight the final stage of genre is parody and we could almost call this like the mel brooks stage like think of like if we're talking westerns something like blazing saddles but tonight we're talking teenage mutant ninja turtles the the you know ninja cycle in America had played through, and it's time for turtles who, who know you know ninjutsu. They love pizza. Their sensei is a giant rat. I mean, it's it's just it's time to have a party. It's time to have a pizza party. So that is the gospel <laughs> today. I just wanted to give a little film theory and relate it to uh, Mike's genius in terms of his, you know, setting this all up for us, which we appreciate. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And that was exactly what I had planned out when I thought, let's do the canon trilogy and then end with Ninja Turtles. Well played, uh, sir. Yes. <laughs> so with the, we get a lot of education here. Man, I, I learned something. That is wonderful, Jason. Uh, so, yeah. So today we'll talk about how that evolved and Ninja Turtles. So we talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, how the Ninja Turtles, what it kind of meant for us uh, then. I'm interested so, you know, coming back to this, whether for this podcast or, you know, more as an adult, uh, we all have those things from our childhood that uh, that were a linchpin for us or something, you know, particularly memorable, um, you know, and for each of us in our own way, the, in one family, format or another, we're the Ninja Turtles. So, yeah, I always find it interesting when you go back to this stuff as an adult, uh, you know, whether as a parent or just an adult, um, you know, how you view those things that were so important as a child. And, uh, and you know, this is, again, I, I don't, I feel like it's hard to represent to like people who, and now this is where I'm going to sound like a really old man, but like people weren't alive at the time to know like how big Ninja Turtles were for kids in America in the late 80s, early 90s. And it, I mean, it's, I, it feels like it would be impossible to like talk to anyone who lived through that era and not have them at least know what Ninja Turtles were. Uh, that's how most of us outside of Mario and Luigi, we learned uh, Italian names. <laughs> Sorry, this is where Dom's going to yell at me. He's looking uh, 
very <laughs> angrily at me. Uh, so I'll stop there. But I'm interested. So looking back, coming back to this as an adult, whether like just now for the podcast or any time, you know, how do you view this movie now? Like, what do you think about this movie? Go. It, does this hold up? You know, does it does it still mean the same thing to you? Or like capture kind of what you loved or didn't before? Or you know, how has it changed? And who wants to jump on that land? Man, has it changed? Um, or stayed the same? It's. I mean, like, yeah, I kind of talked about how I appreciate it more now than I did when I was a kid. Um, I think, I think a lot of the jokes, like some of the jokes, don't really age that well. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of jokes that. I feel like like only adults would get, you know, like there's yeah. there's a couple of Michelangelo jokes that like, you know, as an adult now, like I still don't get like, <laughs> like, like the like the uh, the Bleecker Street joke. Like I've been to Bleecker Street. And I still don't get that joke. stuff like that and or you know like Raphael makes that crack about like the abridged book of ninja fighting (laughs) which like I totally did not get as a child but now it's probably the funniest joke in the movie Um, the grapes of wrath one I was like oh my god (laughs) wow (laughs) the grapes of wrath I was like there's no 10 year old that got that I I think that you know, yes. where, he, where Michelangelo does like the impressions and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah with James no, Cagney. It's like no I, I didn't get that. No, yeah, not. no ten year old had ever seen like a Cagney movie or probably yeah. even Rocky. Like right, yeah, that's right, ever. right, right. But I think yeah, I think it because like you know, I remember, um, I don't remember if my mom actually liked it or not, but I remember she really liked Casey Jones. So I feel like. <laughs> I feel like there was, there is some kind of like adult aspect to it. It's like a really good balance between like, oh, marshmallows on pizza, dude, or whatever. (laughs) You know, like, like actual characters. Yep. Yep. Well, if I can jump off on that, because I agree with you 100%. Like, uh, you know, I was watching the movie. And um, so I think I've watched this movie every three years since it's come out. I I don't know why. It's just every once in a while, I'm like, I want to watch this movie. Um, So, like, I remember I introduced it to my wife. We watched it together, etc. She loved it, by the way. She never watched it. Like, she was, she's seven years younger than me. So, like, Ninja Turtles was a little before her time, kind of. So and so she so she she loved the movie, but one thing we agreed upon is the jokes do fall a little flat, mm-hmm. and they're clearly made for kids, you know. And and it's interesting watching the movie now because, like I said before, when I was a kid, the movie felt really adult, but yeah. now as an adult, the movie feels like a very sanitized adult movie. Like I feel like the plot is a very mature plot but the details are very immature for example crime wave in new york city if you say crime wave in new york city i think of law and order <laughs> svu murder <laughs> abduction rape child abuse you not know, petty larceny they're just stealing, stealing televisions they're stealing televisions <laughs> old like, tvs old tvs like <laughs> this is a crime wave i'm like did they st- there wasn't even a car that got stolen like they just stole tvs cigarettes like this would not be on anyone's radar whatsoever, you know, but so that's one thing. Another example, when they're like, you know, 
give the reporter a message. And I'm like, oh, God, that could be really bad if that movie's R-rated. No, they slap her across the face and be like, <laughs> shut your mouth. And it's like, all right. I, like, like if I if I took on like a ninja clan and all I got was a slap in the face, I'd be like, all right. Yeah, sure, can guys, I, you win. Can I, can I just interject there real quick to say I was rewatching it this morning with my uh, 10 year old before school. And he was saying, um, he's he after she got slapped, he's like, well, they just delivered the message, right? So why don't they just go away? They're like, because they're ninjas. There's more to the message than that. Stop asking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to take issue with your uh, interpretation of the crime wave being sanitized. <laughs> the, pur- okay. the, purpose, the purpose of that is not the crime itself. The crime is a tool that Shredder is using to rebuild his clan. He, like if you think of him as like a Charles Manson, because that's kind of what he is. Mm-hmm. Right. He, like, yeah, I am your like, father. Yeah, he right. literally referred. Yeah, like, I agree with that. That's that's really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm your like, father. This is your he's family. He's not like oh, I can't wait to have people murder other people. He's like, like what do like delinquent children think is fun? Stealing TVs. That's fun. Go play. And then with stealing cigarettes. Like it doesn't, it seems innocuous, but it's like, then he gets them in the foot warehouse. Then they graduate to training with Tatsu. Right. Then they're ninjas. Yeah, then they it's grooming. Them. You're right. This is grooming them. Yeah. It make, like obviously it's a kid's movie, so they can't just murder everybody. But <laughs> from like, you know, because it never really explains like, what shredder is actually doing right what's his end goal here right like he doesn't have an end goal though because he's more like mirage comic shredder right he's just like i'm a ninja that's my job right so yeah. what you know like i need a clan i don't have a clan i'm in new york like i don't know anybody you know so right he, right he gets, he gets these kids like the lowest rung of society or whatever and he figures out like what makes kids tick and he's like mm, arcade games and then he gets his wear <laughs> full of arcade games but it's just like it's like a gateway to him yes. being fully like controlled control yeah. them. Yes. And, I like that a lot. I yeah. like it. Wow. I like it. All right. Jason, what yeah. about you? How would how is this how does this movie look to you now? So in again, I saw it in 1990 in theaters. It was more or less a religion to me, but seeing it with mm. uh, adult eyes, I I started to like nitpick it in a weird way, which again is uh, I apologize for that because I shouldn't do that, but like Casey Jones, for instance, um Elias Kotis plays him and he's a good actor, but I always see kind of like, like Robert De Niro's understudy in him. He just has all the De Niro ticks. So it takes me out of it. But again, that's weird and nitpicky. So how, I apologize for that. How dare you? I know. I'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's totally ta- he's to totally mother. doing a tra- taxi driver thing. Like, totally. yeah, I apologize to your mother too, Sophie. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. And even Thank you. And Judith Hogue, who plays April O'Neil, like I, 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 in my mind, I'm like, like a '90s Courtney Cox would be perfect. For consider, that. So, consider again, your next words very carefully. <laughs> oh, see, I, oh, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to say incorrect things, and I need you to correct me. So I, I apologize. <laughs> for, but this is what my mind is doing. But what I do want to highlight is how absolutely brilliant and wonderful the practical effects are. The the turtles, Shredder, 
Um, this was, you know, Henson Company doing this. And I guess the director, Steve Barron, he worked with, um, he did a Jim Henson storyteller. And that's sort of yep. how he kind yeah. of had that connection. So, I, I mean, this is like, and again, it's it's 1990. It's right before a year or two before like Terminator 2 and computer generated effects completely take over. Um, you know, it, obviously Terminator 2 is being a great example, but we were suffering through many awful computer effects throughout the 90s. But this almost feels like a, a swan song because I, th I think I read like a, a month or two after this movie came out, Jim Henson did pass away. Yep. And so yeah. this almost feels like the, the end of, of something really special in the 80s when we got in camera, like gorgeous turtles, like they 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 took the time, they made the suits work, they had to slow down the frame rate to get the, the mouse to move correctly in terms of how it operates with computer controls. And, and Shredder, there's, there's just, I'm sorry, I'm, I apologize, Splinter, I'm so sorry, Splinter. <laughs> No, am I saying it right? Why am I getting confused? Splinter I, the rat. The rat. The rat. I, am, I apologize. Okay. See again, I'm old. I don't know things. Uh, <laughs> he's he's all he's all just puppeted. It's unbelievable, and it's that's really kind of what I took from this time is the artistry, the craftsmanship. Like uh, most of it wasn't filmed in New York City, except for some establishing shots and and all that sewer stuff. It, I mean, production wise, this movie absolutely delivers, and I had a party with it. And again, Sophie, I'm sorry about that. My casting nitpicky things. It's fine. I'm just playing. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I will add, um, as often I feel, I am still very high on this movie. Um, I've watched it repeatedly with my kids and just as an adult. And I will say, and I'll try to put this like concise. So the two things that really stand out to me rewatching it now. Um, one, I think that really attracted me as an adult and a parent is that I never thought about like how much this movie is really about father figures. And, you know, that we had this, this really strong storyline that's developed and told, I think, really well and in a, like, intelligent, not like, not like a lot of kids' movies where it's, like, characters, like, staring at the camera telling you the plot. Or adult movies, like, Don't Look Up that somehow got Oscar nominated, um, but yet continue to tell you the plot. Um, <laughs> this is, but again, like, they, so they go through, you, you have these three father figures in the movie of Splinter, Charles, and Shredder. And they all kind of, it's all this like, uh, uh, you know, it's these different versions of like what a father is, right? And, uh, you know, I love what you said, Sophie, about, you know, Shredder is kind of this, not, sh yeah, Shredder is, now you, Jason, you have me confused. <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. But no, I Shredder is like this fault that like uses that image to manipulate people. And, you know, and it's interesting, like there's part of me that like, I think as a kid, I would have seen Charles and be like, oh yeah, that guy's a dick. Like, I don't ever <laughs> want to be that dad. But it's like watching it now as a dad, as a dad myself, I'm like, oh, I can see this is just a guy who's just trying to, like, he's a single dad. He's trying to, uh, you know, do his job, do things. He's got a teenage son. Like, he he's just, he's, uh, you know, he's in over his head. Um, yeah, it still doesn't excuse, guy. like, but he's, you know, he's trying. And I think Splinter is the one that, like, Splinter is the Yoda for us, right? And he's yes, that, like, exactly. this is the, you know, and so there's this message in there about, uh, you know, father's parent. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I look at it through a father-son gaze because of, you know, me. Uh, but I mean, I think it, the message he has really applies to any, like, this whole, you know, and it meant something to me. So not to get, like, super personal here, but, you know, like, my birth father left when I was really young. And I had, you know, my adopted father who... Uh, you know, he was really the dad for me. And I think that's something that I never thought about as a kid, but as an adult, I look back 
And I'm like, that's like Splinter's message here that like, you know, the father who identifies our father is someone that like cares for us. And yeah, like I get really, I don't want to like necessarily say we have to like stay at the, but there's, but that depth is in this movie. And at least to me, when I see it, and I think it's incredible that they can do this in a way that isn't ham fisted, isn't, uh, isn't like talking down to children to put this, like it feels like a genuine way. And then the other thing I really like from someone who talks about movies in a podcast and tries to think about movies critically so that we can talk about them intelligently, I appreciate that it has this plot that's just bonkers, right? You have ninjas from Japan and mutated turtles and the crime wave and this guy who uh, his superpower is dick sporting goods, I guess. And <laughs> so all this stuff is in there, but the way that it's put in and walked through and told is told really well. Like, they, you know, at all the right points, you know, when they'll, they make the joke about like, oh, some guys that had, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but like some bad memories about something that happened years ago in Japan. Like those things where you can just kind of point like, yeah, that's silly. And like, but they walk you through like all the steps of like, okay, here's, you know, they kind of use Danny to show us the ordinary kid that gets involved and sets into this world. Then April kind of works in that way too, to see how do, you know, ordinary people step into here and like, and they lay out this entire, like this complicated backstory with Hamato Yoshi and Rokusaki, but they like, none of it's all just like, I, all right, here's the 10 minutes where I do straight exposition and blah, unload all this stuff to you. Like it's just pieced in there, here and there. It's paced so well that like by the, and it's funny because I, going back as an adult, I know a lot of this just because of mythology of the Ninja Turtles, right? So when you go back to something that you spent so much time on as a kid through comics and, and uh, you know, video games and cartoons and stuff, it's hard to remember, like, how do I know this fact? Where do I know this from? And it's hard, like, going back to a movie, I'm like, would I understand this if I didn't know all this stuff? But, like, all those pertinent facts they put into the movie, but it's just, it's little bits here and there, and I really appreciate how well that's paced that I don't think, it to me at least, it never takes away from just understanding the narrative of the flow, the narrative of the movie uh, that is really unusual for, again, a movie that was, uh, you know, made for a large children's property at the time that I think, you know, there is a part of it that like this was made for adults. You know, one of the things kind of the backlash this movie got when it came out was because there was a lot of violence. And one of the reasons that we can cover it in our podcast is because it's a martial arts movie. Like they are doing legitimate martial arts stuff in this where in the cartoon, like they had to make the the Foot Clan robots so that they could use their weapons. And then in all the other future movies, they would never let them use their weapons on anybody. So they had to do all these, like this tomfoolery to like have weird objects hit bad guys and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, to be fair, there's some of that in the first movie too. There, like, there is some of it too. Like again, and, you never see, you know, uh, Dom and I will talk about being X-Men fans and, you know, not that I'm the same level of Dom, but like Logan is the only movie where you see like, what would actually happen if a guy that had three knives in each hand fought people? Well, um, Lo you know, Logan actually uses that. That's what I love about Logan. Right, is so he uses that as a, as a statement about it's almost criticizing the audience where it's like, all right, you want to see someone stand in the head? Here you go. Oh, wait, right. now and we're going to kill a family, too. Here you go. And it's like, oh, ouch. Right. But Leonardo yeah, has two swords and yeah. I've never seen yeah. him stab or chop off a head or something. But in, Mike, in Mike I'm going to jump in because you're talking about the whole friggin movie. Okay. Anyways, yeah, yeah. okay. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. 
I've gone. So that's, that's Jeez. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, dude. So, like, to, to just springboard off what you're saying, this is how this movie was ahead of its time. This movie has aged superbly well. Superbly well. Because, like, I remember when it came out, like, people were like, a movie about Ninja Turtles is stupid. There is no way this can be a good movie because of its subject matter. It's just in like there is this mindset of this movie is inherently poor is, is inherently a poor movie or at least inherently a B movie simply because of its outlandish subject matter. And I because I remember recently I read reviews on it and I think it was Roger Ebert, but it could have been anyone oh, at the time. It. Yeah. So he goes, this is probably the best movie you could make about Teenage Mutant Turtles, <laughs> which was his way of saying uh, you gave it the old college try, but you sh- the, the resources should have gone to something else. And, and that was the way people thought back then. And now we have arguably the two most lucrative franchises are about absolute gobbledygook star wars mcu i love them both more mcu myself but i know i know mike loves star wars it's all (laughs) fantasy it's all stuff that back then people would be like why are you spending money making this why are you making outlandish things one of my favorite mcu movies the two best characters one's a tree and one's a talking raccoon named after a Beatles song okay (laughs) like you know and these movies kill it they invest hundreds of millions of dollars in it and they get billions in return and ninja turtles saw the potential in that they said we can make a movie that is solid and appeals to a range of audiences that is about fantasy like very fantastic things and i feel like it's a generational thing that our generation accepts these very fantastical plots and fantastical universes if they're taken seriously and the prior generation is like, that's kid stuff, no matter how you package it, no matter how you, how you, how you label it, it's not for adults. Whereas we're like, yeah, I'll take the handsome God with the lightning hammer. You know, why not? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know and, I, and I feel like, and, and I don't think it's just us. I mean, I feel like a generation before that was Japan because in like Japan, you know, like when, Ninja Turtles was was only for kids in Japan. There was all these adults reading manga and watching animation. So I feel like in a way, America did the same thing, but later. But Ninja Turtles saw that potential earlier, and I really respect that about this movie. Yeah. I'd be very interested to hear what well you said. have to say about that, Sophie, because you like actually do comics. So like, yes, right? Yeah, like what what yeah. do you think about that? I really want to no, know. Like, like I think, I think like the thing that like that barrier that people have with Ninja Turtles specifically, I think there's some, there's something about like the anthropomorphic animal thing that like, even now I feel like, you know, like, yeah, there's rocket, you know, raccoon, but he's not the star of the movie. Right. But I feel like if there are like anthropomorphic animals who are the stars of the thing, people are just like, Oh, like, you know, like Bugs Bunny or, you know, like there's this, (laughs) I don't know. There's this like, oh, like, like talking animals are for kids, like specifically. And I feel like, I feel like Ninja Turtles was kind of like victim, you know, like was a victim of that, like early on. Like, obviously it's, you know, it was still a huge franchise at the time. 
And I think the 1990 movie is like the highest grossing independent movie of all time. Yeah, until like Blair Witch Project. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you know, which is because like, I mean, like those tickets weren't all bought by children. Right, right. You know? And I do, I don't, I can't really articulate it, but I do, I do feel like there's still kind of, you know, that, that barrier there, Dom, that you're talking about. Like there's something about, like, I don't know what it is about talking animals that is like inherently <laughs> silly. Right, right. I can't really. Uh, well, I'm, in, I'm interested to know, like, so when you started writing the comic, uh, you know, what was kind of your like? So I know, obviously, you said, you know, you have a, you had, you were the cool one that had the, <laughs> you know, the background in the comics, like, uh, you know. So when you, so when you came on, like, what was kind of the image of Ninja Turtles that you brought in, and like, how, you know, how did what did they mean to you? Like, and how, I can't imagine what that has to be like to think like now I'm kind of the, I'm the creator of the canon now. Like yeah, I uh, own them. So how did you approach them? Like, um, did any of this influence that? Or sounds so enthusiastic. <laughs> uh, uh, well, like, I don't know if you guys have been following it too much, but like right, right now we're in the middle of this like big event storyline called armageddon game that has all these different tie-in mini series and one-shot issues and like everybody is like trying behind the scenes we're all trying to make it all fit together like these moving parts and it's just like <laughs> like me and my my editors we did like a zoom call this afternoon and we're all just like i never want to hear the words ninja turtles again <laughs> oh no <laughs> Oh, well, I'm doubly thankful that you are yeah, taking the time is, yeah. to. Yeah, like we still love it. Room. We still love it, but it's just like, you, 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 like you, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of work trying to make yeah, all sure. the moving parts fit. I but, bet. Um, uh, like I had done, you know, I had done a little bit of writing for Turtles and art, you know, prior to me taking over the series. Like, you know, like, you know I'd done stuff like on and off over the years. And gotcha. when the main... Uh, writer tom waltz like he was gonna you know he left at uh, uh issue 100 and my then editor uh bobby he he approached me he's like hey do you want to take over for 12 issues and at first i said no I was, just like, <laughs> oh, I was like it's too it's too much pressure i can't sure. like, i'm too much of a fan i'm too invested i can't deal with it like i'm right yeah, right I need, I need my sleep or whatever it's too much and then he, like you know i told him no and then maybe like a week later, I was just like, yeah, maybe I should do that. And so I went back and like, luckily the, he hadn't found anybody else. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> it yeah. So at first it was going to be 12 issues and here I am almost 40 issues later. I'm still here. Oh, that's um, so cool. But yeah, it was like, oh, actually in an issue, I think it, in issue 132, I did a scene that is like, the splinter campfire scene in the 1990 movie where he comes up in, in like this blue flame and he's like, Oh, oh yes. Sons. So I did a scene that was, you know, like an homage to that in like the latest issue. Nice. Um, you know, they're, they're like at Northampton, they're on the farm and everything. I right. love the farm. Oh yeah. It's my favorite. And, and that was something that was in the, that was in, in the, the comics. In yeah. the comics too, yeah. right? The North, although in, 
in the movie, I don't think they say Northampton. I don't think they say where it is. Yeah, I don't think they locate it or yeah, they say but, where it is. Yeah, but like, but, is, it's Northampton, Massachusetts. Oh, um, uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, and so I guess like when I took over, it was more like it's tough because like there's also these hundred plus preceding issues. Right, right. So it's like, well, I can't totally do what I want, and also, you know. Nickelodeon, Viacom, CBS, or whatever won't let me have the turtles murder anybody, so I can't do that. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> you know, so there's like some things I can't, I can't do. Like you know, as opposed if there was just like me starting at at the at you know ground floor, totally right. building it up in you know like as to what I like would want it to be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess like. I came in kind of thinking like, you know, I'm going to, you know, try to bring myself to it in like on my own time, you know, I write a lot of just kind of like drama comics sure, and like horror stuff. Oh, cool. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bring that to it. Sure. And I'm going to try to like give it some, uh, like as much like mirage feel as I can. Very cool. Like, you know, I don't know how much you guys have read the old comics, but. I haven't read them in a while. There's like, you know, even when it's like silly, cause you know, cause they, they, they do a lot of silly stuff. Right. But there's always this kind of like, like really like kind of low key kind of downbeat kind of feel to it, which the first movie is, is pretty good. Right. Them, I think we're like the mm-hmm. scene where like Raphael comes, comes back to the sewer layer, like, like all by himself. He's all like broody you know, and Splinter's just like, you know, come sit by me or whatever. And he talks about right. like, Raphael's anger and stuff. And he's like, oh, right. there, my son, you know, and it's just like, like, that's what I, that's what I want to bring to these comics. Um, just have, you know, like turtles, like, like brooding. And like right. Right. And stuff. I mean, I grew up on nineties comics. The best that's comics are brooding comics. <laughs> that's, what, yeah, that's what I love. I yeah. feel like, no, I, I I agree with you. Like, I think that's actually one of the things I really like about this movie is, um, you know, they bring up, they don't, they bring up loss of parents. Yeah, for sure. Like, because like, I'm I I'm not a huge fan of coming of age movies. They they kind of annoy me, probably because I teenage years were kind of. You're all, you're already you're you're of age now. Yeah, yeah, but I never liked them. Even when I was coming of age, I'm like, oh, it's so lame. But like, <laughs> I don't feel like this is a coming of age movie. I feel like this movie, no, in a yeah, way, really... they're teenagers. And by the way, what I like is they act like teenagers. As a kid, I thought yeah. they acted pretty yes. mature. But now watching them, I'm like, they're a bunch of idiots, yeah, just like any thirteen-year-old. Yeah. Like, right. they, they do have this like like get serious mode in, in some scenes where they're like, all right, now it's like a decisive battle. We have to be serious now. Yeah, right. The right. Rest of the time, teen- <laughs> like, like I watch it and I'm like, you know, it's like, it's a movie for kids, but yeah. as an adult, I appreciate it. Cause it's a movie about kids. They're kids. They are 15 year olds are children and they act childish throughout the movie. And I don't really mean like they're goofing around and stuff. Like you said, you know, 
Raphael can't handle his anger. Why? He's 15. You know, Michelangelo's like swooning over April, which is fair, but that's still like, he doesn't really know what to do with it. He's like, can we keep her? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, you know, the best, the best, like, be like, you know, teenager being a kid scene is like after Splinter is kidnapped and they just show up at April's door. Like, (laughs) right. Like, like yeah. crying. Right. Help! Yeah. yeah. yeah they don't yeah, know they, what to do. They're, they're like, like, I need right. an adult. I need yeah, an I adult. had that moment right. watching it that I remember, like, especially watching it for the podcast, like, trying to find, like, all right, try to look at this critically. And there was that part at first where I'm like, oh, yeah, they just go to April's house. Like, yeah. they just met her. But then I thought, like, no, that's such a 15-year-old thing. That's, like, if you go she's home the and only your person home and trashes, right. Right. Yeah. Your dad's gone? Like, you're here's this lady that was nice to us. This is where I'm going. Yeah. Like, they need an adult. And like, and, right, it felt like this is so they acted right. Like teenagers. Yeah. And, and also like the loss of a parent thing. And like that idea that the parent, like when Splinter's like, Oh, by the way, they foreshadow it a lot. And oh yeah. I didn't realize it until I watched it as an adult that he's like, I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. One day I'll be gone. You have to rely on each other. And then there's the um, where they do the little um, the seance with the fire and he appears. And, you know, I, I mean, I saw it as a kid, so I knew Splinter was going to survive. But like if I had watched it as an adult, I would have been like, holy crap, he's dead. Yeah, that might be the last scene with him. He might be dead. Right yeah. yeah. And also and like I not to bring this down a little bit, but I I've lost, I lost my father in 2003, 2002, actually. And I watched this movie right afterwards. Oh boy. And it was, it was, okay, I'm I'm admitting this. All right. Well, why not? (laughs) It was the first time I cried about my father's death was watching that scene. That's it. Cause it's so poignant. Cause what he says, what he says is true. What he says. Yeah. He's like, He's like, you know, what you've learned is you need to rely on each other and conquer your inner demons and work with your mind. And he's like, I'm not here anymore. Well, conveniently he was, but he was basically saying, I'm not going to be here anymore, but I'll always be with you in the lessons that I teach you. And I had a good relationship with my dad. And when I think about him passing, I think about like, it sucks that he passed when I was 22. But his lessons live on through me because we had such a good relationship. So that scene punched me in the face. It was yeah. so poignant. And it was, but it was, it was also nice. It, it, it talked about a positive relationship ending, maybe not in the best circumstances. And, and I, I thought that was a really mature thing um, that I did not appreciate at all when I was a child. And as an adult, like, I was like, wow. And I, I remember I watched it with my girlfriend at the time, and she's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Whoa!" And I, like, like you know, I did that whole guy thing, you know, when guys are about to, you know, like are gonna cry. It's a lot in a of movie. coughing. That's nice, though. It yeah. is. It is such a good. You got me kind of, kind of emotional. But it says something <laughs> about a movie that is now, you know, thirty years old, thirty plus years old. That uh, is again about. Uh, taking away the veneer it is about four mutant ninja turtles and their talking rat dad and that we it has this that we connect to it 
it's you know one of the things that that made me think of too like uh, I, I saw a lot of connection with so that that whole idea like the lesson that splinter gives them at the end there the ultimate mastery comes from not of the body but of the mind and like you know we talk about like kind of this fake family of the foot compared to the real family that you know splinter encourages there and it, it actually it reminded me of um you know some of what i had oh, when we talked about karate kid that you know in karate kid the um you know there was this where we see the kind of this fake family that's ruled only by uh, just this superficial physical toughness and that ultimately that only lasts so far and it has it's just a weak veneer and as soon as you kick the floor you know you kick the leg out from under it it's gone and that it's the the family that stands together and is strong in spirit they're the ones that are victorious and i just couldn't help thinking as i watched this that there's a lot a lot of that is here too right that the foot is it's all this just cheap veneer of like the easy things but as soon as that goes away um you know it's it's just shown that like this is hollow this is nothing and that where that strength of the mind and it's i don't think that's coincidental either because i saw the stunt coordinator for this movie is Pat E. Johnson, who was the stunt coordinator, fight coordinator, and the referee, famously, uh, in Karate Kid. So, and I know, like, Pat Johnson talked a lot. I couldn't find an interview of him talking about Ninja Turtles, but I know he talked a lot about in Karate Kid that, like, you know, cause we I think we had talked, not in the episode we did with Karate Kid, but on offline that, like, this is, you know, Pat Johnson is, Uh, like a legendary martial arts figure in America. And he talks about like, this is kind of my philosophy of what martial arts is. And I think we see that. I think that comes through in this movie too, that that is again, part of what makes it strong is that we see this again, what's valued is that the love, the it's Splinter's final message to them that I love you all my sons. Like how wonderful is that? Like, you know, where, where Shredder will say this, like, what is it? It's the, Oh, I wrote this down. What it, it sounds really nice, but it's a bunch of crap. Effort, discipline, loyalty. Like, yeah. that's what. But it, but it, what does that mean, right? That's all nothing. Like, try hard, listen to us, and don't turn your back on us. Yeah. Like, he, that's, that's no, love. no love. No love. Yeah. You know, there's no love. He's, you know, the outside world rejects you. Right. Like, do does it though? Right. Um, and I think. Like, you know, going off that, I think, like, a, a really good, like, contrast between, like, Splinter and the Turtles and Shredder and his people are, like, is, like, you know, going back to the scene where Raph, he comes into the sewer lair and he's all, you know, he's, uh, he's all broody and Splinter, he's just like, hey, let's, let's sit down and talk. Right. That kind of thing. But when Shredder is, is angry, like, after, you know, it's something like, uh, the you know the, the turtles escape or something to Northampton right. and you know he goes to Tatsu who it's like Tatsu's failure or whatever and they have this moment where Shredder just like goes up close to him and they just don't say anything at all they just stare at each other kind of right you know for like a moment and then Shredder just leaves and that's it like there's no communication at all right which is you know I think it's a good like contrast to it right well and then how about like what I think is amazing when Danny finally comes and talks to Splinter, like, again, this could be a moment where we get this, okay, here's the exposition download. 
And like, he tells him a little bit, but then his big thing is like, I can like, sure. I could tell you, but I can also listen. And like, and he just encourages like, no, I'm here to listen. And it's like, again, reminds me of as the dad that I am, like, look at like, oh, I'm probably more like Charles than I want to admit. And Splinter's here saying like, all you got to do is just say, hey, I'm here to listen to you. Like, tell me what's wrong. And, and, you know, and that changes everything for Danny. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can we talk about, since we're talking about how much of a shitty dad Shredder is, Uh can we talk about. How, on the other hand, he's super badass. Yeah, he gives them, like, all those games. And- he's, but he is also, like, so, so, like, I remember from the cartoon, he was voiced by the guy that was Uncle Phil in The Fresh right. Prince. And yeah. he's, like, and he used oh, one of those, he? like, tonight I died on turtle yeah, soup. And he's, like, yeah. oh, the turtles. Are. <laughs> but in this, he is a straight up scary mofo oh, like the when he walks like that one of my favorite scenes yeah, in this movie awesome. is when you know when they they come everyone meets up in that auditorium and then you hear bah, bah, bah. yeah and, and then you see him walk out yeah it's like i love like, and i'm like oh my god like the like I was just like, this is this is the most metal thing. It's so <laughs> awesome, and the light, the way the light moves oh, across yeah. the blades on his head, yeah. like he's a straight up killer. Like he's cool, and he's there cool. Was no too. cheese on this burger. It's all right. straight sirloin. <laughs> like wow. And in the the oh. final scene, the turtles they can't even beat him. Right, right. Splinter like, defeats him. Right, like and only Splinter loses cool. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, that's another thing. I go looking back. I'm like, oh yeah, they didn't beat him. Like no, they the only reason they won is because Splinter came up there and he got all in his in his feelings and yep. rushed he, him and yeah, he made that was a bad mistake. Cool. And then Casey gave the whole oops. Love that. That's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he gets him straight up murders him. <laughs> My wife said something interesting. She goes. What's up with these movies in like the late eighties, early nineties, and squashing the villain? Like, didn't this happen in Roger Rabbit? And I'm like, oh yeah. And like, it's a way for them to kill someone without showing blood. They either, they either, ah, yeah. yeah, they either get squished like you can't see it, or they fall off a really high building, or both. Right, like Joker. Like, like yeah. Joker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I always get mad because I'm like, then they kill off the bad guy, and we're supposed to have this bad guy for eight other movies. Which, luckily, (laughs) thanks to the magic of Super Shredder, uh, (laughs) played by Kevin Nash, but that's a different movie uh, we will someday get to. Um, Yes, so I want to let's talk about Casey Jones for a moment. Love Casey. Brought that up. Yeah, Yeah. I want to know. He's a sexy homeless psycho. I love him. Casey Jones. Sophie, go. What are your thoughts on him? <laughs> I, uh, he's he's like he's my favorite character in the comics, and he's my favorite character in the movie. He's just like, I, 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 yeah, he's like this. Yeah, yeah, he's like this psycho guy who is, you know, spurred into this like kind of weirdly ineffectual vigilante action by the crime wave. You know, it's like not totally clear what he's doing. And he's just like kind of an asshole, and like he's just grizzled. He's like wears sweatpants all the time. He's gross, but 
he's also like kind of hot like that he's like, <laughs> kind of a hunk he's like kind of dangerous you know and yeah he is great i love him no no complaints about casey jones even, you know, like even though his like his weird uh homophobic joke in the first movie i don't care oh right yeah, those rough I still claustrophobic. What is it? That, uh, it was a different time. Like, I never it was a different time. It's like, whoa, can you settle down? Yeah, it's, down. so it's one of the things about him that, like, watching I this now, uh, as, you know, as an adult, uh, someone that tries to be more conscious about um, things that, like, uh, right, he'll have those moments where I'm like, ah, oh, should I like this guy? Like, yes. but, the, but, it, like, <laughs> I feel like at the heart, right, like, he always, he means well. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's funny, like, again, I was watching this with my kids. There's the scene where he tells April, he's like, oh, don't worry, I saved you. <laughs> and, and my son is like, what? What's wrong with that? And I'm like, oh, she makes that comment later that she's like, you're a nine-year-old in a grown man's body. Right, and I was right. like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't understand because you're a 10-year-old. Like, <laughs> why this is a stupid thing to say. Oh, and then he, like, God. follows that up by calling her Broadzilla. Right, Broadzilla. I was like, yeah. oh, man. Oh, God, and it, like, so right, funny. he keeps, like, but I'm like, also, <laughs> if you try to look at, like, the, the same way that we talked about the Ninja Turtles, our 15-year-olds. And like, you know, if we accept Casey Jones as a real person, and that's one of the things that I think this movie accepts, that these are all real people, not just like, this is a cartoon, like they try to make them real. So here's a guy who clearly lives on his own and, you know, has has no one (laughs) telling him, you know, what to do and what not to do. And, you know, he's this tough guy. But he likes helping people. Clearly, he's misguided since he thinks the way to do that is through baseball bats and hockey sticks. Yeah, see, uh, even I when they're like... running away from other people. So, uh, like, <laughs> okay, well, I could see why this guy wouldn't necessarily understand how this might sound to someone else or this might sound to a woman because, uh, right, he like he really is. He's in his own way. He's also kind of a fifteen-year-old that's just has lived longer, but he hasn't necessarily had any refinement right but i think in in his heart like he's a good guy right like he see his really only interaction with Raphael is that they like beat the crap out of each other and even that he's kind of having fun with but then he's like sees him two buildings over getting beat up and he's like i'm gonna go help that guy like you know he could have just been like oh that sucks (laughs) you know but he's like i want to go help this guy so i was just interested like i had those moments where i'm like Am I supposed to like him? And that I feel makes me feel better hearing other people say, like, it's yes, both. I love Casey. It's, he he embodies both of those things. Like in real life, you probably wouldn't want to hang around with Casey Jones. But when he's in a movie or a comic or whatever, <laughs> you know, you can root for him, like even though he's like kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> Right. Also, yeah, he's a product kind of, of his time. He's a he's a, oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say he's I'm kind of the wet blanket of this conversation. But like, he immediately takes off his mask, and you know, I was you know all about the cartoon when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, it's just a guy under there. Like, I I almost <laughs> want a more two dimensional characterization of Casey specifically because he is yeah. just so wonderfully badass in the in the cartoon. Again, I yeah. I don't have a lot of exposure to the comics, Comic so I know you don't you don't want to hear so... this, but. I, I just, I, he's like, all of a sudden he's, there's a romance with April and I'm like, he should just be like, you know, a vigilante in an alley, like waiting to kick ass. Like, what is this? He is uh, also that. He's yeah, I, I know. I only, but that's, that's my problem. I'm a two dimensional person. I want a two dimensional <laughs> Casey Jones. 
So that's yeah, again, I, well, this is just well, my he's perspective. A, I think yeah, it's I, a, I think it, 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 it all comes together because he, right. he's also a product of his time. When I watched mm-hmm. this movie, I was like, okay, he's the lovable badass and that was a thing in the 80s he is extremely like late yeah he's like he's like okay you have this guy who's unkempt poorly groomed (laughs) abrasive (laughs) sexist probably racist probably i'm just throwing it out there you know (laughs) um (laughs) probably uneducated like all of these negatives clearly violent probably has a terrible relationship beats up beats up children beats up children (laughs) like he's but you're supposed to like him he's the lovable scamp and in 80s movies that's what was sold to us so much i feel like women were sold a bill of goods in the 80s because the kind of men movies told them to like Mm. are these like immature Morons with a cute <laughs> smile and a wink, right? And that's what Casey but Jones. It, but it worked. I love. I know it's like you can date a guy who like carries around like a, a, a golf bag full of like deadly <laughs> hockey sticks, and if somebody messes with you, he's just like you know pulls this thing out and he beats him up. Perfect, right? And I think it almost it makes him charming too that he's so bad at the romance. Yeah, he's like yeah, he's like such a he, he does. I mean, at the end, like they only kiss because April basically tells him just shut up and kiss yeah. me. Like, and I think it up. helps. I think it helps that like Elias Coteus and Judith Hogue have like real chemistry in that. Yes, movie. yes, and they're right. Both, it, you they're feel both that great. with them. They're both just like charming by themselves. They're like incredibly yeah. charming together, and like. Yeah, at the very end, where you know April uh, tell tells him to kiss her, it's just like you know, like I just completely buy it, and she has that like big bright smile before they kiss. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, agreed, great. agreed. And um, I just wanted to have the ma- his mask on when they kiss. <laughs> the mask stays which, on during sex. Which side note, the mask like that is not a hockey mask. I know. Like, it's not where, a where did that mask? Ma- that is a Casey Jones mask. It's, like, it, no goalie it's wears a that. Kevin Eastman hockey mask. Okay. Right, right, yes, right. right. Which is wonderful. That's not a complaint from me. Um, this way, always not Jason Voorhees. So he, yeah, that's true. That helpful. would that would be a different movie. It is New York City. I, I have a done. question. I have a question yeah. for the t- turtle the the turtle community here. In the comics, or and or in the cartoon, does he ever take off his mask, or does he do the whole Judge yeah. Dredd thing where you never see? No, he's in. The Mirage comics, he's he's usually without the mask. Oh, interesting. Oh. I can't remember if he because is because I think in the, in the cartoon. cartoon he had it on the whole time. I remember All the time. Seeing, yeah, that's what I, I remember. remember seeing a meme where he's trying to get into a building, so he applies for a job in a suit with his mask on, and he gets the job. I I don't know if that's <laughs> that's. that's, that's I, funny. I, so for those of you listening out there in in, in Radio Land, uh, it's an old um, <laughs> podcast land. Podcast <laughs> land. If I'm right, and Casey Jones never took off his mask in the cartoon and infiltrated places with his mask on, please let me know because that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even remember him. Like you know, I haven't seen a ton of the old cartoon. Yeah, like, it's been a even, long time. Like, I don't remember him aged great. the show. Like like. What did I don't know, he, he didn't hang around with the turtles in the cartoon, right? 
Not as much. I, I mean, he was a side so. character. Like, right? He just show up and, and show do up some fighting. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Like, especially because I don't think the cartoons are streaming anywhere. Like streaming for free. Well, oh, for free, as in if you subscribe to like Paramount Plus or yeah, something. Yeah, I watched. I, some um, of the newer ones are like there was. I really like the series from. Was it like 2010 or something? There's like that Nickelodeon animation. Yeah, the, the 2012 cartoon. Yeah, that that's one great. was good. I and I've solid. heard my son has been watching the the new one, The Rise, that I've heard is pretty good. I have not seen that, but I've heard it's very good. Um, mm. But they're um, not brothers in that. I hear they're different species of they're turtles. Different, they're different species. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Wow. Huh. I mean, well, it's never. I think that was. I think that's a key part of you know turtle or the the turtles is like like even in, in the movie or the old comics it's like you don't know if they're really related they're just turtles in a you know right aquarium bowl like you don't know right you're right a, a DNA test or whatever right it's like, you know it, it's more like the found family you know right right yeah. now correct me if I'm wrong uh, just since we're talking about different storylines in there right at least in the cartoon I don't know if this was in the comics but in the cartoon wasn't Hamato Yoshi actually Splinter like yeah, he trans yeah. he wasn't the rat that learned ninja moves and then got like and then yeah in the cartoon he became he, he was a dude and then he became a rat that's right and th- was that how it was uh, in the comic too no the comics were like the movie where okay. Splinter was just a regular rat like doing the ninja moves from his cage right like, right 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 and i remember, think like awesome. i like that better i have yeah, to say yeah, i like yeah. that better because in the cartoon i remember this because like i'm very scientifically minded clearly it's my job and i was always that way and i was like how does this stuff work how does the mutant work and i remember they said that you take on the characteristic of the animal you were most associated with beforehand. It's like the last this... animal you touched. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so uh, you know, Mariyoshi was was on was in the sewer. I can't remember why. And he was hanging out with rats, and he turned into a rat man. And the yeah. turtles hung out with him, and they turned into turtle men. And you know, like they really could have went bananas with this story, and like you know. <laughs> like really there was one episode in Ninja Turtles where a bunch of like cows combined together and turned into like a mega mutant cow with like <laughs> horns coming out of it and they went really I nuts. do not remember that yeah I don't know how I remember this I remember <laughs> random crap. it's all I the sad thing for me about the cartoon now is uh this cartoon along with a lot of other ones like Transformers and He-Man or He-Man as an adult realizing that these cartoons were essentially just vehicles for selling toys and not like in my mind i'm like oh no i wanted the the toys came after to capitalize on the but no the toys were first right and then this show was created to make me want to buy them and it worked because i spent all my allowances dom got a box of 20 ninja turtles uh, and I, now that I look back and I realize how much they cost, I don't think my parents spent two hundred dollars on toys. <laughs> maybe, they did. maybe they did. Maybe they maybe. You know, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask my mom next time I see her because yeah. well, let's talk about if include inflation though. Yeah. Well, no. At the time, it was like ten bucks a turtle. I think. Yeah. Right? It was not. It was not super cheap. I think. It yeah. Was, yeah. It was, it was like a good I amount said, of money I, then. I worked to get my allowance to that, and I remember our local the toy store in Canadaigua. That was the closest one to where I was, out in the middle of nowhere. And I would call that. I knew that they would get the new Ninja Turtles in on like Wednesday. 
So this like 10 year old me would call them on Tuesday and be, or whatever, and be like, okay, what are the new ones that are in? And I remember like April O'Neil was like the one I was so excited to get because she was so hard to find and, you know, it's got the bright yellow costume. And then my little brother broke her leg off like a week after I got it. I'm still mad at him about that. Uh, You should be. Um, All right. We are getting, we have talked a lot about Ninja Turtles and we could continue. And I feel like we need to get some science here soon. I just want to ask one question in closing here. Uh, before we get into our science here, I would like to know whether as a kid or now, um, who is your Ninja Turtle? Uh, mine is Leonardo. Okay. Do you want to expand? You're the it? only oh. person I've ever met who's a Leonardo so, fan. So the I've only had, one. <laughs> this is a very, this is a very fraught thing because back in the day, you know, Leo was my favorite, but that was back when the cartoon was really big. So if you said Leo was your favorite, you were like a nerd. Because <laughs> Leo's like, oh, he's the boring one. He's like the square. <laughs> so I would always be like, oh, yeah, Raph is my favorite, you know? Right. So, <laughs> so I could like, but I had this like secret love oh. of Leonardo, you know? <laughs> See, I, we are, I feel like we are very similar there in that like uh, we were, I was talking about this with the guys a little bit before that I was like, I want to say Raph, especially from the cartoon, because I love the attitude. Like the cartoon, he was all about being like the sarcastic smart ass, right? Um, and and I was like, I want that to be me because that's so like cool and snarky. Yeah. But I was like, uh, I called like Leonardo is the living embodiment of the eldest child syndrome. And like, I am that to a T that I am the like, I have to be like responsible for this. And, and, and I mean, also I thought that, he had the coolest weapons as two big swords. Like, how sweet is that? But I always am like, no, Leonardo's the one that like stops them from just being idiots all the time. Right. And like he gets them I in think, charge. Like he's he's in touch with the ninja side. And so that's I think, where I was like, Yeah, I, I want to say I'm Raph, but I'm 100 percent Leo all the I way. I think like and you know, it all not I'm not gonna like be a complete nerd about it, but like you <laughs> no, know, it also nerd, depends, please. it depends a lot on the version. Sure. Because yep. like movie, you know, Donatello is completely different. Yes. Like mm-hmm. comic Donatello. Like I don't know what they were doing with Donatello in the first movie. Yeah, Corey Feldman. They're just yeah, like I, Corey Gonos, man. Yeah, he's like this goofy weirdo or something. I guess I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like, well, this was there was it, a weird time for Corey Feldman too because I was reading like some of the comments from people or that he was you know this was like peak Corey time oh, and. <laughs> He was, according to like people on the set, at least some of the interviews I read, allegedly, uh, he like always showed up late, was a huge a-hole. And the the like body actor, like that's one of the amazing things that like all of these, except for Raph, had three people involved to keep them, to create them. They had the body actor, the, the face stunt. puppeteer, the and the voice. Yeah. But uh, uh, Josh Pius, I think the guy Josh, who played Raph, yeah. he's the only one that did the body and the voice. But I guess the mm. body of Donatello, like at the premiere, went up to Corey. It was like, "Hey, I'm the like body that you voiced," and Corey basically blew, blew him off. It was like, was "Get out Ernie of here." Ernie Reyes back then, or was that a different? Uh, Ernie. So Ernie Reyes, yes. Uh, which great connection there because that he was in Last Dragon that we talked about. Oh, he nice. was I didn't the know that. he was the fight double. So 
I say three, but those were like the primary yeah, the character. A lot guy. of them yeah, the also had guy. a fight actor. Right. Um, and Ernie Reyes was and then he was Donnie Donatello's. Yeah, so he was right. Donatello's yeah. fight yeah. double. Yeah. Um, and then he was Kino in the next movie. Right, exact right, right. So he got to come out from behind the mask. A character that I've been trying to get in the comics for years. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh that would be cool. So cool. By, by the way, if you watch the movies, and, and I could be wrong, but I noticed that when you when when the turtles are talking, clearly there's an actor and the face moves. But when they fight, their face is fixed in position. Uh, yeah. So I think they it's use like a, a different like a, turtle like a, suit during it's like a fighting. Stunt head or yeah, it's like a yeah. stunt head. Yeah. Like if you look, their faces are always like like stuck right. like that. Right. So right. Yeah. But um. Right, well, oh, Dom, okay. Dom, I, Jay, who are your who's your ninja turtle? Jay? Dom, you go ahead. All right. Mine has always been and will always be Donatello for two reasons. One, he's the the science nerd, which I am. And two, they don't use that in the movie at all. They that do is not the, use that. That's one of the biggest. Well, that's what Sophie was saying, and yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, I feel like Donatello was wasted in that he was basically Michelangelo light. Right. Yep. Yeah. He was basically yep. Michelangelo. Exactly. And like, like every so often, he would make like kind of a nerdy. Mm-hmm like remark or something right so like, oh he's like yeah. kind of smart maybe so i felt like he was wasted but the movie's so good and yeah. i feel like if you tried to flesh out another character too much it would seem superfluous so i'll let it go but it's donatello because one he's the science nerd and two bow staff is my favorite weapon like that's a really cool weapon i don't actually do any kind of weapon-based martial arts but like a big stick? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like swords are cool, knives are cool, but I feel like are... the bow, I feel like the bow is like the most versatile. Like because you can like you can jab, you can whack yeah, you got the distance. He yeah, was awesome right. in the video He's game. A... I you know yeah. I loved X-Men in the late 80s, early 90s, and Gambit had a bow staff, but the bow staff is sick. So like, yeah, that's it's not a very complex reasoning, but that's my reason. It's a good reason. All right, Jay, how about you? So I was convinced as a child that I was definitely Raphael. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, watching this movie, and again, I, I think I would say I'm more about about the cartoon interpretations, but Raphael was so brooding in this. I, it was kind of turned me off a little. But also, <gasps> it, as Sophie, you're saying, it gave dimension <laughs> and depth. So I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm trying to touch all the bases here. But anyways, I think I'd be Michelangelo. Like, oh, I think in my hey, family. Hey, got all four. There we yeah, go. I, I'm that way too because I'm I'm always trying to like kind of be the cheerleader for the family or you know just it, kind of keep everybody upbeat and try to you know lighten the mood sometimes. So <laughs> I, I think that fits me the best. Yeah, and Michelangelo makes makes all the adult jokes. Oh, I like that too. That's true. I well, Jay, so- I would just like to interject here with your comment about being uh, you know bring the lightness to the family with a story you once told me about how. You liked having Arrow on your phone because you could go to a family function and just oh, watch yes. documentaries about Deep Red instead of yeah. interacting with family. That's awesome. Yeah, I, well, that's a good point, too. So that's very light, Jay. <laughs> uh, yes. no, it's, it's funny, too, because I think if you ask whether all of us are kids in, like, 1990, I, I feel like everyone would say Michelangelo because he was, like, the coolest one at the time. Because he, yeah. all the, like, radical and cowabunga like he was on all the t-shirts and like you know he's the surfer dude and he's was, a stoner he's yeah, oh he is he stoner. absolutely is but that like, was so popular at the time i mean he's, <laughs> see, that's 
him being him being like a stoner that's kind of how he more how he was in the mirage comics because oh really in in the old comics he's not like he's not the crazy one dude he's right (laughs) he's He's more like he's more like like the everyman and there are a couple short stories where he does drugs and stuff really whoa that doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) so clearly one of the big takeaways we're getting from this episode is that we need to get a we and i mean me need to get some collections of the mirage comics yes um because i will say when we were at uh comic-con i saw you know on some of the this is like my this is my louvre gazing is the like all the old classic comics that these different vendors have in their you know box they're like uh what's the term for it dom the like the protected cases for the comics. Oh, the CGC comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The slab, so, slab. So I will yeah. say, looking at the prices of some of the, there was a booth right near us that had a number, like the original number one. And it was like, it was next to like, what was that? That was the one that had like Detective Comics 27. And it was, it wasn't the same price, but it also was not like, basically that I couldn't even pretend to like, spend the money to buy this and like maybe my wife would be mad it's just i just straight up could never afford this comic book yeah. well um, i actually i believe as far as like a couple of years back it may have changed but teenage mutant Ninja turtles one is the probably the most valuable post bronze age comic because i don't think it's bronze age technically i think it's post bronze age yeah, like i think it's the most valuable post post bronze age well that made sense because essentially right um like mirage was but a modern age layered, or whatever yeah like they created that imprint right like so they to some degree like sort of self-published it yeah yeah it was totally self-published because the uh, first printing of number one it was just like you know self-published like around the corner and they would like take it to you know the convention or whatever right so they're like they can't have a huge a huge number of them still out there yeah probably not right now so yeah it's not the death death of superman let's just put it that way they didn't just (laughs) frank i have four of those in my basement Uh, some guy at comic-con was like that's 40 bucks and i'm like really I'm like, you're scamming someone. Come on. He's like, it hasn't been opened. I'm like, oh, people used to wipe their ass with that comic. There were so many of them. Not that it was a bad comic, uh, but yeah. I, once collecting of anything got big in the 90s, it basically ruined everything. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, Dom, I feel like this is a great time to hit us with some science. What do you got for us? All right. So, um, I'll try not to keep make this too long, Sophie, because I'm a herpetologist. I study reptiles. Now, I really so I the whole thing about Ninja Turtles is like, what does the skeleton of a Ninja Turtle look like? Because they're <laughs> half no no because they're half human and they're half turtle. But like that is almost an impossibility. Yeah, and their yeah. their shells are squishy. In this. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna talk about that. So, um, I'd like to talk about how the tur- what the turtle shell is because it's not just armor. Like, it's not like an armadillo or an ankylosaur, you know, which is just basically covered in bony skin, right? It's not that the shell of a turtle is actually its ribs. Right. So what yeah. happens is so so like if you look at our rib cage, you got ribs, muscle, 
which are called the intercostal muscles, then more ribs, and then intercostals, more ribs, and then the costals. And that allows for us to expand our chest cavity or a thoracic cavity is proper term for it when we inhale and then collapse it when we exhale and also allows for us to move around a little bit more and all that good stuff. Well, a turtle's ribs have expanded out and formed suture joints in between them, like in our skull. So basically, they're surrounded by essentially a skull made of ribs, okay? And the underside of their shell is made up from bones that grow in their skin that essentially do the same thing. Huh. So they're, it's not like they, they're like a lizard or something with a shell on top of it. Their frame is the shell. So they have made yeah. some amazing modifications to their body that like aren't anywhere near like a human. So for example... If you look at our rib cage, our arms and shoulders are on top of it, right? So like you can move your, your scapula or your shoulder blades and they sit on top of your ribs, right? Like everyone who's listening, try it. Reach back and you can feel your <laughs> scapula move over your ribs, right? A turtle, when it grows its shell in the egg, what happens is its shoulder, its shoulder girdles will flip over and go underneath the ribs and that's how its arms can go into its shell Gross. its arms are inside of its thoracic cavity yeah it's crazy <laughs> and that's why if you ever see a tortoise walk its elbows stick up yes because its entire its entire arm system is not like you know <laughs> elbows down hands up its elbows up hands down so they have basically flipped over arms they cannot do a crunch right cuz it's all it's all solid oh, they maybe. cannot breathe the way that all other reptiles mammals and birds breathe cuz they can't expand their chest cavity mm -hmm. and they can't they don't have a lot of mobility so if you were to make let's say a giant turtle not like a human turtle hybrid but a giant turtle it would not move anything like the ninja turtles which would mean it couldn't learn jujitsu so uh -huh. let's ask ourselves what kind of martial arts would a turtle be able to do? And it would have to invent, <laughs> it would have to invent its entire own martial arts. So, for example, a turtle, if it fought, would use its head and neck a lot because turtles have very long necks. And also they have very specialized vertebrae in the necks, which is called um, um, heterocelis. Um, which means that they'll bend down and bend back up and side to side. So they're extremely mobile. And like, so if you were a Ninja Turtle, you'd have a really long neck and you'd be able to whip your head around. They also have an epically strong bite force. So if I was a turtle martial artist, it would all be about strategic biting. Like they wouldn't be able to move their arms very much. So a lot of their motions would be back and forth, but keep in mind, they have a shell. So they have inches of bone protecting them. So you can't like put pressure on their ribs to, you know, make them unable to breathe, which is something you do in like jujitsu, for example, you put your knee on their belly and the person's like, Ugh. If you do that to a turtle. The turtle's going to be like, hi, you're not doing anything. <laughs> You know, and, and that's, a, yeah, you can't knock the wind out of a turtle because a turtle has to modify muscles inside its shell to use for breathing. It is an amazing, the engineer, the evolutionary engineering of the turtle anatomy is incredibly different than any other vertebrate. And it's super successful, but it's very different. So basically a two, a, a turtle on two legs would not be able to move its arms very much. 
and, but move its neck a lot. So there'd be a lot of neck fighting moves. There'd be a lot of spinning on the shell. There'd be a lot of like protecting yourself and then springing up. It would yeah, be a very like interesting martial art. So yeah. one day I would like to sit down and figure out how a turtle <laughs> would fight. Also, by the way, if they are um, the turtles that I think they are, which is, I believe they're, um, they're ready sliders. They're ready sliders. So, um, Oh man, shame on me. I forgot the genus of the sliders. Anyway, um, some herpetologist you are. Yeah. Ooh, I'm, I'm, you know what? You know, Revoke your so, he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna get a letter. I'm gonna look at him right now. Um, Association. But, um, there well, we, we go. I'm looking at him right now. Shame on me. And in your badge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it, is it tra- it's Trakemi's? Oh, anyway, okay. obviously. So, Trakemi's tra- tra- script. Anyway. <laughs> These turtles, the males, have extremely long claws. And when I say long claw, I mean extremely long. Seriously, Google image a male reddit slider. They have it's very crazy. long claws. Terrifying. And so ninja turtles would be biting and slashing with their claws, and they'd be pretty Jeez. dangerous. Playmates some... doesn't want to let that in their cartoon. Yeah. In some of the really early sketches and concept art that kevin and peter did the turtles had claws they should they, they, they should also have five cool. fingers i don't know why they we gotta, yeah we gotta look that up and share some of that through our uh, had, twitter like, account they had, or... like retractable claws that would come out of yeah if you oh. could, actually it's a sexual selection thing male turtles what they do is to flirt with females they'll wave their claws in the female's face and it she gets her hot, I guess, because oh, like <laughs> having big claws, they're like, so that, and that's it. So, yeah, they'd have big claws, a huge bite force, a very mobile neck, and not a very mobile body. So, it'd be this very totally unique style of fighting. I kind of want to write in the comics, and I kind of want to write one of the turtles like biting somebody. Oh, <laughs> I'd be yes. happy. Yeah. I would, I would be happy to collaborate on that. Yeah. I really would. I think about it all the time. <laughs> All the time. I'm like, how would a turtle fight? Oh, man. It would be oh. like nothing, like nothing we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Dom, this may be your finest science segment. That, that was yet. super cool. This is <laughs> that was awesome. not just science, but you're also basically like uh, thought experimenting your way through creating an a, a entirely new martial art. So, right. This is, again, wonderful science segment. Um, friends, uh, we could talk about Ninja Turtles again for hours more, uh, but we've talked a bunch so i'll uh leave us there sophie thank you so much for coming and joining us yes yeah, my pleasure uh, thank you yeah, this was great our, thank you our so listeners much. Yes. uh so you know we mentioned you're writing the ongoing idw series teenage mutant yep. ninja turtles make sure you go to your local comic book shop and check that out and support your local comic book shops uh sophie where else uh you, you know what else are you working on that uh you know you want our listeners to check out uh what else am i working on um, I'm doing, I'm doing my Substack thing, which is, I've been working on the sequel to, uh, a creator owned book called Shadow Eyes that I've been chipping away at for years. So I've been doing that. Um, God, what, what is my Substack, uh, URL? I can't even remember. Um, I can send it to you guys. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it, we'll put it in the show notes yeah, the and show we'll notes, put that right. out. So definitely check out Sophie Substack. Recu- Substack. Uh, I don't update it very often, but it's there. <laughs> But they are, they're usually pretty funny when they, oh, yeah, when I've right. gotten that, I really enjoy them. So definitely make sure you Thank sign you. that. We'll put the, we'll put the links um, again on the show notes and we'll uh, send them out through our social medias. Uh, Sophie, anywhere else that our uh, um, listeners can find your stuff? 
Yeah, I'm on Twitter, um, Mooncalf1, M-O-O-N-C-A-L-F-E, yeah, one. Um, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is Mooncalf23, and that is only for monster toy pictures. Ooh, cool. Yeah. You got all kinds of stuff. And you said, did you say you did like horror comics? Yeah, I did some horror stuff. Um, What's the last horror book I did? I don't even fucking know. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we'll find some. We'll put it out there. You know, I don't want to put you. We've already kept you on here a while. We're keeping you recording this late. You know, I try to to put horror elements into Ninja Turtles and... You know, I try I try to make it as gory as I can. But <laughs> we appreciate difficult. it. We do, we do. Uh, again, I really enjoy your run on there. I think it's Thanks. a personal point of pride that someone is doing this awesome work that you are doing as uh, another Rochesterian here. So it, we think we have a wonderful community here of creatives. And it's, uh, Sophia, another fantastic example of that. Proud Thank to you have so you much. I appreciate part of this it. community. Um, you know, our other friends in the podcast, the Lunch Room Podcast Network, you know, we have our beer review journal, Food About Town, and our friends at the Anomaly Podcast, which by the time you have listened to this, you will have missed the 2022 Anomaly Film Festival, <laughs> and I'm sure you will have heard all the awesomeness that happened, and you're going to be really sad if you're listening to this now, knowing you missed it, so hopefully you didn't, um, but uh, just as a fun fact, our Anomaly friends did a podcast episode on Ninja Turtles some years back. So we'll make sure we link that and share that too. Listen to that as well. Anomaly has a unique take on movies and they have a unique take on this movie as well. So if you love what we've said here and want us and ask, hey, what would the Anomaly kids think about this? <laughs> Good news, it's out there. You can listen. So uh, again, once again, friends, this is awesome. Sophie, I hope we can have you back again. Yeah, uh, this, cool. this was Secret a of the treat. Ooze. So. Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And Ninja 3, Ninja Turtles 3, and all that other great stuff. So until then. American Ninja. American yeah, Ninja. American Ninja. All right, yeah. We, got a, we have a lot Those of opportunities. All right, so until then, <laughs> uh, though Ninja November may be over, remember, as long as you have a couch, you can always be a ninja, a couch potato ninja, and you can always keep ninjutsu in your heart. This has been a presentation of the Lunchroomer Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs>